All right, guys, welcome to a very special new addition to the Ship Chasing channel. You guys know Sam Sherman from his work with us on Stat Chasing throughout the offseason. We are spinning up a new show that's going to be weekly on Fridays, hosted by Sam and regularly Davis Maddock. He's not here with us today. Pat, Corain, and I are going to be joining, though, as wingmen on this show. Gretch will be swinging by at times. But basically, the goal of this show is to do a focus on the ADP landscape across various best ball contests, looking at movement, how you can exploit it, really approaching it from a market standpoint, which is as important as ever with these draft contests up for specific durations, some of them spanning months, some of them spanning weeks. Sam and crew are going to be your one-stop shop for staying on top of all of this stuff so you can exploit it in your drafts. So without further ado, let's get to the debut episode of ADP Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you Tony? You can't handle the heat. See, it looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, Sam, Hello. you're in the host chair now. I, I'm my, my duties are done. I'm going to kick back. <laughs> Look at that. Put my feet up. This is all you know. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, yeah, well, anyways, I'm, I'm really excited to be kicking the show off, guys. Um, yeah, Pete, you did an awesome job explaining the the concept of the show and the intro, but uh, we'll be here all summer talking through through ADP movement. And I think it's really important, you know, as we start to get more news and, and hype cycles for different players, really tracking uh, how players are moving and, and make sure we we update our our stances accordingly. So, um, yeah, so this will be an awesome show. Um, looking forward to it. And yeah, Pat uh, or Pete, any other any other thoughts on the show um, before we sort of dive into the to the numbers here? No, I'm excited. I mean, I think Pete's point about, you know, this becoming like more and more market based is important. Uh, one of the things I want to eventually dive into with you guys is like, trying to make should we be projecting like when these tournaments are going to fill because like i actually think i did some bad stuff in the big board because i thought it was going to take longer to fill than it will <laughs> you know so it's like when you know like when you have something with best ball mania though where you know it's going to stretch that whole span i do i think it's just absolutely crucial to understand where the adps are going to end up um and where where you might be getting the best price on a guy even if you don't love him at that price yeah and you're having to think through not only when are the contests going to fill, but like how big your portfolio is going to be. Because I've been saying in these big board drafts, like I've been passing on these early quarterbacks, but then I'm like, do I really want this, you know, draft to close? And I have zero elite quarterback in the second or third round where it's like, sure, maybe I get my shares of those in different contests throughout the summer. But if I actually want a specific portfolio in this contest, I need to start thinking about that soon and knowing, are these ADPs going to change? Or do I just need to start biting the bullet and mixing those guys in now? Yeah, I think that's a great point with the quarterbacks because I, I had that same stance initially. And and now it looks like by the end of this tournament, like those quarterback ADPs, especially Hurts, Mahomes, uh, Allen, they're probably not going to move by the time this contest fills. So like I, I've updated my stance on that where I'm starting to take those guys because I don't want to full fade them. But yeah, to your original point, Pat, I think starting to track the fill rates for these tournaments um, is, is especially like if best ball mania, if that looks like it's filling quicker than expected. And, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. That would really change how we approach things. Um, so for sure, yeah, good thing to, to track going forward. I, 
the the conversation about like the quarterbacks is is a really interesting one to me. I don't know if we want to dive into that now or um, if I'm derailing us by by diving in. But I I just think like part of me is like you know what I am going to full fade him. I'm going to full fade Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes in this tournament. Obviously not in my 2023 portfolio. That'd be kind of crazy. But what if the way to attack the big board is not to draft second round Mahomes? Like that might just might be that that's not like the best way to do it. And maybe my portfolio is going to be all teams that are, uh, you know, built differently than that. And if that ends up being an edge, then, you know, I have an edge in that tournament and maybe I, I can get some more, like get a team through to the finals. Um, yeah. If it doesn't, then, then I wash out on that tournament. But I think there's enough tournaments where I think that's another option. Like you can, think through like in this tournament i'm taking like a stance and that stance is limited to this specific tournament in this specific time period and if i completely blow it if i'm just totally wrong then i will have other chances to take different stances or just to kind of be more in line with the market generally and and not be so aggressive yeah i think that definitely makes sense and and i have some thoughts uh some more thoughts on the quarterbacks but um i think we can definitely talk through this uh as we go through some of the charts here so uh yeah let's dive into it and and before we do it let me give like a quick overview to the listeners of of what we're going to be talking through each week um first we'll start by talking about players adp risers and fallers uh that's a pretty straightforward concept then we'll also look at things at the team level and the positional level so we'll be tracking how you know how we're Kansas City players tracking versus Chicago players versus Houston players, that sort of thing to really get get a view of, okay, if I'm mega stacking the bills, how much am I paying for that? Um, And then at the positional level, we also want to be tracking how are the RB1s moving relative to the wide receiver ones, you know, and and additional detail there. So we'll be looking at all angles, not just individual players, but um, some further team and positional level context as well. so yeah, let's let's dive into it. Um, I'll add these charts um, to the stream here, so so people can follow along. But this this first chart here, I think, is is really interesting. These are the largest ADP risers from February fifteenth to February twenty fourth, which is today. And I'll leave this one up for a second. Um, I think like seven out of ten of these players are rookies. <laughs> Which I think shows... I'm drafting all of the. I think this might be uh, Pat Crane returns from Indonesia. Is what <laughs> How does Jacoby Myers sneak onto this list too? He's like I'm drafting Jacoby Myers. <laughs> I'm drafting Jacoby Myers. I, I think some of these. I think some of these ultra boring veterans are undervalued, and I like the rookies. I, I think literally I've drafted every one of these players. Yeah, I, I like all these rookies too. We have like another deep dive in the rookies. Um, so let's let's start with talking about the veterans, and and we'll dive into the rookies later. Um, so this year I, I just removed. Uh, remove the rookies here. Here are the biggest risers with just the veterans. And yeah, let's start with the conversation around uh, Jacoby Myers. Pat, interested in why you think uh, why he's a value at at 98 overall and he's rising um, over the past couple weeks. So I don't love Jacoby Myers, but I think okay. I think he's viable. And what I the reason that I um, am somewhat interested in him is that the overall like player pool right now strikes me as one where once you get to about like the ninth round, there's like no wide receivers left. And you can, you can maybe see Brandon cooks there 
And I, I actually really like Brandon Cooks. Um, I think Cooks is not done and won't be in Houston. And even if he is in Houston, it's going to have a quarterback upgrade. Um, so I think he's someone where, like, he's probably a pretty solid pick. Maybe he's not a smash if he stays in Houston. But I think there's scenarios where he lands somewhere kind of exciting and ends up being, like, a seventh-round pick or sixth-round pick that, like, the ship-chasing collective thinks is, like, a bad pick. But mm-hmm. it's like, hey, I'm getting him in the ninth. So... But and Jacoby Myers is sort of a similar bet, I think, where he's he's a free agent. I don't always like going after free agents. I, there's a lot of downside with free agents, but in Jacoby Myers' case, he's been very solid. I think he serves like a legit role for an NFL team. So I think he'll land somewhere and be pretty productive. And it's more like it just feels like he's sort of last call for you know professional wide receivers. Yeah. And I, I like Myers. I'm not sure like at 98, some of the value might be squeezed out there, but you know, 1.9 yards per route run last year, he averaged close to 16 PPR points per game. And that was in a new England offense that, you know, sure you could argue had weak target competition. So maybe that props him up, but at the same time, like the pass volume was pretty bad. You know, Matt Patricia was the offensive coordinator. It wasn't the best situation. And given that the free agent uh, wide receiver class is so weak, I do see scenarios where Myers goes to a team um, like the Chiefs or Dallas, maybe even the Chargers if they move on for Keenan Allen and want a cheaper. Yeah, what if they cut Keenan Allen and bring in Jacoby Myers? I mean, Myers is a fifth-round pick. So he is. I know we're not taking him in the fifth round, but he's probably going there. You know? Yeah. I think he probably goes more where, like, Brandon Cooks went last year. You know, where it's like. Mm -hmm. I think he would go ahead of where Brandon Cooks went last year because he was on the Texans. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but um i don't know anyways in general and maybe paris campbell like fits the the trend here too at an even better price like some of these free agent wide receivers to your point pat i think are going to land in good spots like campbell chark myers it's a weak free agent class one of those guys is gonna to get one of these attractive spots that we're talking about and shoot way up the board so i think in general I'm kind of buying the the veteran free agent wide receivers um, just because there's a lot of uncertainty baked into their price. I'm I'm actually generally not buying them because I'm like not like it's because it's a weak class of and so from the talent based perspective, I'm pretty shaky on Paris Campbell. He's never really shown much. I know he's been hurt a lot, but uh, DJ Shark, I think he he has flash more talent, but. Even in his breakout season, he wasn't all that efficient in terms of yards per outrun, and uh, he's dealt with injuries. Um, so I I don't love – like one of the reasons I like Myers is that I don't like dipping into like some of these free agent wide receiver bets later. Darius Slayton is another one. You guys know that I, I like Darius Slayton, but I don't, I don't know where he's going to be. And I think one thing that kind of the fantasy community maybe like doesn't do a good enough job of, uh, this is kind of coming from my dynasty lens, is like, when you do dynasty ranks, there's like a huge list of dudes that you just don't rank anymore every year where it's just like, oh, yeah, like Keelan Cole used to be a guy like, <laughs> you know, like there's we just forget. And then like we just wipe those dudes from our brain. And there's a bunch of guys currently being drafted who are those dudes who are just like going to have like next year where we'll, we'll have forgotten existed. So I, I think maybe like some of the we might be overly optimistic on some of these uh, non 
differentiating type of talents who currently don't have contracts. Yeah, that's fair. Um, to me, like maybe Campbell is a bad example. I mean, he is so cheap, so I can't argue too much against taking him with like sort of a last round pick. Shark to me seems like a guy that has like sort of a certified NFL skill set that an NFL team will will value. Like I have a hard time imagining him completely yeah, that's falling fair. off the radar. But I see what you're saying. Like it, there's definitely there's upside and risk with with these free agent wide receivers. Um, there could be way less of a market than we expect. You know, could be a Will Fuller just never sign ever uh, situation. So I, I mean, uh, I'm not drafting him anymore. You let me down, Will. You let me yeah. down. <laughs> uh, what one thing I should say, if you are listening to this in audio form, Sam has incredible charts that we're displaying on screen right now. So we're looking at ADP risers from February 15th, 24th. So if you are some for some reason listening to this in audio form, do check out the video here. Uh, uh, what do you guys think of, like looking at these names, like I feel like you can tell yourself the reason why most of these guys have moved. The DJ Moore stuff, was that just like his ADP, whatever it came out of the gate and people were anchored to it earlier? He just seemed mispriced right away. Was there anything else that was thrusting it up other than people saying, hey, this is mispriced? I, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe Frank Reich, you know, people are starting to feel a little bit more optimistic about the situation and then maybe feeling like more optimistic that they do upgrade their quarterback. You know, seeing Anthony Richardson uh, have his ADP bump up as people start to realize that he might go top 10 and, you know, maybe he goes to the Panthers. Maybe they bring in, you know, there's like four options. It seems like that the Panthers could uh, four early quarterback options in this class, which should help the Panthers land somebody. So uh, that quarterback upgrade maybe wasn't priced in enough to begin with. Um, not that it's a guarantee, but it's, it's a good chance. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like, I, you know, I know ship chasing has always loved DJ more, but, I do think there is a bit of a case against him at this cost. He, I mean, in 2022, he just came off his worst uh, season in terms of yards per route run. He was down to 1.74 after being like close to two for his whole career. Obviously, the quarterback play was bad. But again, quarterback play has generally been bad his whole career. And this year, he maybe had the worst target competition of his entire career. Like He no longer was competing with McCaffrey, uh, no longer competing with Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, sort of competent veterans um he also and i know pat you've mentioned this espn open score which i think is uh, pretty interesting to check out from last year he ranked 89th out of 111 in that behind guys like gabe davis george pickens mike williams guys who are not known as good separators so i don't know i just want to be wary of like obviously he's still young like he's he's shown a lot in his career but for a guy that's had a you know maximum sixteen point PPR points per game over his entire career, it feels a little it feels a little pricey for me coming off a bad year. But I, yeah, I don't know how much to read into like his down year last year um, going forward. I think that's fair. I, I haven't been like I wasn't smashing him even when he was cheaper. He was someone I was like happy to see there, but he's part of a big group of wide receivers in that general range that I liked. And so he didn't jump out to me as like the must draft of that group, which as someone who's always been very high on DJ Moore um, is basically me being low on him. 
Yeah, I mean, his yeah. lowest, and this is full point PPR, his lowest PPR finish over the past three years has been wide receiver 25. And that's been running bad on touchdowns, never having yeah. good quarterback play. So it seems like, to me, like a pretty high floor pick. And then maybe there's some meat on the bone if they figure out quarterback, if Josh McCown's a revelation as a quarterback's coach, if Reich is, who knows. But it just, it, it seems like a, a solid pick. Even, maybe maybe it's been priced out, but when he was going in the sixth round, I mean, that felt like a smash to me. I'd also note that um, in 2021, he finished wide receiver 11 in ESPN's open score, ahead of Cooper Cup, ahead of Tyree Kill. Um, and he's turning 26 in April. So uh, I would be not overly concerned with the fact that he had like somewhat a genuinely down year. He was the kind of having like separating like a Michael Pittman, which is not not great, given that he's kind of more of the yards after catch. Uh, speedy undersized guy but um in the past he has gotten open very well and you know maybe that's an offensive design thing to an extent so i wouldn't be overly concerned yeah about that. it doesn't seem like there's any structural reasons he should have had such a serious decline last year so i'm, I'm willing to like chalk it up as probably mostly noise and just like a terrible situation but right. yeah just something something worth monitoring um Cool. Let's, I think let's move on to the fallers in ADP. And I guess for the audio listeners, um, the other guys who jump out here as, as risers and maybe we won't discuss them in detail, but worth mentioning Sam Howell, uh, Kenny Gainwell, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, Jacoby Myers, Curtis Samuel, Sky Moore, uh, DJ Moore, Trey Lance, Jordan Love. And <laughs> Sky Moore, Pat came back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I d actually did want to talk about Gainwell here before we move on. Um, I think that this rise is probably like some effect of the Super Bowl um, snap share uh, breakout between Gainwell and Miles Sanders. He actually outsnapped Sanders in the Super Bowl in a game where Philadelphia was forced to pass. Um, I was actually talking about that earlier in the postseason where. Gainwell's snap share might have been artificially low throughout the entire season because they were just blowing out teams and didn't really have to get into that up-tempo uh, usage with him as the passing down back. But yeah, at pick 128, um, I'm curious uh, what you think, Pete, as to whether that's still a value with Gainwell. Like, Do you think we, there's any chance he becomes a starter next year um, in Philadelphia, or, or how are you treating him at that price? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of ambivalent or neutral on it. It just seems like his path to being a lead back are just really thin, right? Like no matter what happens, they're going to use a bruiser back. And then on top of that, I think we all hoped he was going to have more of a pass catching role this year and be used, you know, exclusively in that. And he didn't catch a ton of passes this year either. And I know he came down late or came on late down the stretch. So maybe we're, are we, do we feel comfortable extrapolating that a little bit more? That's kind of my concern with him because how he was used for most of the regular season was not very encouraging it wasn't but i i really like him actually um i've been drafting a lot of them and you know if there's anyone that i actually like maybe have been partially responsible for pushing up i would say it's it's probably Gainwell. he just feels like kind of a small miss big win type of profile where i feel confident that he's talented uh you know he's on a rookie deal he's kind of got like he's carved out a role it's not the biggest role but miles sanders is a free agent there's a chance where they bring in 
one of the many rookies in this class who are pretty interesting as kind of an early down guy. Um, but that Gainwell outplays that guy and ends up being, you know, kind of a one a or in a split, but he gets enough receiving work where in a, in a true split, more of a split than he had with Sanders. He'd be pretty interesting. I don't, he doesn't strike me as like, maybe he's more like a medium win, small miss type of guy. Cause I don't think he has this like super juicy upside. I think like, they won't really use him all that much around the goal line, most likely. But there was a there was a game against the Cowboys where they used him on four straight carries inside the red zone. The, the I believe it uh, culminated. He picked up a first down and that culminated with a Gardner Minshew quarterback sneak for the touchdown. But Sanders, you know, they could have been going to him there, and they they went to Gainwell instead. So I don't think he's completely dead to get used some around the goal line. Um, and the thing I really like about him is, let's say they just re-signed Sanders. An 11th round price tag for Sanders handcuff isn't bad, right? In this offense, like that's what that's maybe a round or two rounds more than you'd prefer. But like, that's where I think it's a small miss where you're really not paying that much of a premium on, on what we would pay for just the pure handcuff. So any upside that you can foresee, like, I guess we can quibble about how much upside there really is, but to me, it's, it's not really, there's that, not that much of a premium that you're paying to get it. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Sam. Like, how, and again, with this draft being unique or big board stuff with this closing before the NFL draft, how are you thinking in general about ADPs in your portfolio of these running backs? The phrase I always use is where the bombs could go off, whether it's getting, they draft someone, whether they bring someone in with free agency. Are you always wanting to play it through the cheaper running back in those ambiguous situations? Like, because I do think Gainwell is, is a good one to view it through that lens. Yeah, I think like, it's really context dependent, but if you talk about the Eagles as an example, I think like Sanders has the potential to really plummet. Like maybe his free agent, yeah. he's priced in like the eighties. Maybe his free agent market isn't as strong as he expects. A ton of teams draft rookie running backs early and he's sort of left out and he could drop a ton. Whereas I see Gainwell as somewhat safer because he's still under contract. Actually boss, both Boston Scott and, Miles Sanders are free agents. So like, I don't see a scenario where he's not at least the number two in Philadelphia. So to me, that price feels a bit safer, but yeah, I think to your point, Pete, I'm getting kind of nervous about like the more expensive free agent running backs that are sort of assumed to resign somewhere like, like Sanders, like maybe David Montgomery, or though you could argue whether yeah. that's a value or not. You guys um, talked about Montgomery on ship chasing when I was out and I, I'm not in on him. I think, I don't think he's good and he doesn't have a job. And so like, to me, like Montgomery's going right next to Khalil Herbert. Give me Khalil Herbert all day. Khalil Herbert is good. I feel confident he's under that he's good and he's under contract. And again, if they sign, if they were to re-sign Montgomery and Khalil Herbert was his backup, his ADP might be around lower than it is now. Maybe it wouldn't even change. So I'm like, why isn't any of the upside that he operates as the lead back with a rookie, you know, mixing in behind him? Like, that's not a zero percent outcome. And so I don't know. I like him. I like I like um, Gainwell and Herbert um, Rashad White. I like the guys under contract in in this general range. I like and and guy like Montgomery really, really makes me nervous. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And and, and just like higher level we talked we touched on this with the qbs like i am definitely i do care about closing line value even in these early tournaments 
Like you can make the argument like, oh, why does it matter if the ADP doesn't change over the course of the tournament? If I load up on Kenny Gainwell at 130 in the big board and Philly, you know, doesn't really draft anybody high, doesn't resign Sanders and he jumps up to the sixth round, I then have that leverage where I don't have to chase Gainwell in the sixth round in future tournaments because I already right. have a ton of exposure. So like you can think of it like that. Like it allows you to get leverage in like future tournaments if you load up on these guys at at good values now. Like maybe last year, Julio Jones is maybe a bad example because he busted and sucked anyways. But if you had a ton of Julio <laughs> in the big board, which I did, you didn't. Yeah, have to I was drafting a lot of Julio too. Yeah, yeah the, you didn't the have free to Julio was nice. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I'm thinking about that type of. Uh, uh, it's a great point. Yeah, it's a it's a really great point because you can adjust what you're doing later if you you can you can feel more confident about going because there's that thing of like, God, I really don't want to take this guy like Damian Pierce, for example, I didn't really have any of last year because he kept getting more expensive. And every time I was like, I don't love him here. I'm going to, I'm going to pass. And then he'd go, he'd go move up around and then it would be even harder to draft him. I just never really got in. Um, And that's not a great position to be in. I don't think generally you want to be, I mean, Damian, Damian Pierce is like pretty talented running back, not a perfect pick, but I, I would have much preferred to not have, you know, a complete fade position basically. And this is the time where you can get those types of guys really cheap uh, and avoid that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, let's move on to the fallers here. Uh, so again, for, for people listening on audio, we're looking at the largest fallers over the past 10 days or so. Some names that jump out here um, as the biggest fallers are Brock Purdy, uh, Chase Brown is a rookie running back. Jarek McKinnon, Zach Ertz, Fournette, Kamara, CEH, Jimmy G, Isaiah McKenzie, and and Desmond Ritter. Uh, I think the first thing that jumps out to me here is the Chiefs running backs uh, with both McKinnon and CEH falling a ton. I'm curious, Pete, how you're playing the Chiefs running back situation. Like, do you think these ADP falls for these guys are justified? And if so, does that mean we should be hammering Pacheco at around pick 70 ADP? Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on these guys? Because I'm not not quite sure how to sort out the KC running back situation. Yeah, I don't think I know either because I want to say across my 10 or so drafts that I've done, I do not think I have selected a single Chiefs running back, which, you know, maybe that's bad. I, I feel pretty strongly that, you know, taking the most expensive one at this point um, doesn't make a ton of sense, especially when they're a candidate to draft someone or bring someone in through free agency. I don't, you know, to kind of your guys' point about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like, like even though he's extremely cheap, like the dude just sucks and has basically had every chance to have this opportunity. That feels like a throwaway. McKinnon is the one I stare at and I have a hard time. And I think he's a justifiable click there. Isn't he a, he's a free agent. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Makes it tough because they brought him in so late last year. Yeah. I think if the thing with him is like, it's so binary to me and maybe I'm, I'm simplifying this, but like if he goes to the chiefs, he jumps a little bit. If he goes anywhere else, he's like almost undrafted. Like if McKinnon's not on the Chiefs, yeah. I mean, maybe like if he's on the Bills or you can invent some other scenario where maybe he has some value, but his value seems so specific to the Chiefs that like, I don't know. He's also what, 31 years old. There's retirement risk. It's it's a tough one. It feels like sort of maybe a small win if he goes back to the Chiefs, but like he could. I think there's zero. big win potential. That's what makes it sort of tough is that, I mean, okay. he was an absolute smash going 
in this general range last year. And because he doesn't have a contract, you know, you don't feel comfortable taking him higher than this. But if he were to resign with the Chiefs, which is the most likely place for him to resign, I think, then I don't know. He's like probably like a 12th round value, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I guess like I'm trying to sort out like how much was this end of like because McKinnon going into the playoffs was like on fire. I mean, sorry, the yeah, like the fantasy playoffs end of the regular season was on fire. And then in the playoffs, like was just very much phased out even in the passing game in favor of Pacheco. So I'm trying to figure out how much of that was like some injury to McKinnon that went unreported versus like a a true changing of the guard. And they just kind of wanted to move on from him. That's what's, what's tricky. But if you average the whole season, then obviously like McKinnon at 165, like he was giving you awesome spike weeks uh, the last couple of weeks of the regular season there. So it's a tough one. I have to say I haven't taken him, but I actually think CH at this price is, is a pretty good pick. Wow. Um, he's under he's under contract. Oh, yeah. McKinnon's a free agent, like we just said. So if what if he, what if McKinnon doesn't resign? It probably makes sense, right, to do some drafts where you mix in a late McKinnon, especially if he falls, and some drafts where you mix in Ceh because if McKinnon doesn't sign, Ceh is the direct handcuff to Pacheco, and he can he does everything. Even though he does everything poorly, he does do everything. Uh, you know, he can, he can fill in as a pass catcher. They've used him somewhere around the goal line. Like there's, I mean, he's free. He's completely free. He's on the chiefs and he's definitely going to be on the team next year. So I don't I actually don't think it's a terrible, very, you know, late round pick. Yeah. It's just, it's just disgusting. I don't know. See, you're, you're probably right rationally, but he, like he gives me that you know sort of uh, puke in my mouth feeling when I talk about him. So every year I have a guy who I who I get on board with is an ultra gross play. And I didn't I'm I'm thinking CH is a pretty prime candidate to be that guy, which I would take some joy in given that I was like completely out on him last year. It'd be kind of fun to tell 200 plus CH. <laughs> that and that's what's so gross about it is like you can't at least with your guys's anti-David Montgomery argument at that price, like you can still say there's an opportunity cost relative to the other guys going around him. It's harder to do that at pick 224. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's tough to argue against. I think what I would say, um, if you are taking CH, and I get this doesn't have to be like exclusive, but I do think I'd be more interested in taking him on teams where I've taken Mahomes, presumably with a Kelsey stack, and I'm making another big bet on the Chiefs offense as a whole and just being like, CH is bad, but he could fall into the end zone 10 times because he's the lead back kind of thing. Yeah, or he just gets really lucky. I mean, he that yeah. happened to begin the season. Remember, it was like because I didn't have any of them, so I remember this pretty clearly. Like he's just getting completely just luck boxing into all these. Oh yeah, there were some. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. There were Ceh victory laps on on Twitter after Week Five last year, and I was I was absolutely <laughs> hating it. Um, it's the, the most unsustainable <laughs> production of all time. But you know, whatever. Like I didn't want to pay, you know, the seventh round, whatever eighth round price tag he had last year, but. If he's going to go in the 18th, 19th round, I mean, I think I have, I think I almost have to start mixing him in. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we killed this show's ratings. Uh, 31 <laughs> yeah, minutes sorry. in, outing CEH. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's this uh, list of names is, is really disgusting. I guess the, the one we probably should talk about and is, is most relevant here, aside from the Chiefs running backs, is Alvin Kamara at pick. 79 here he's falling because um people have really brought to light 
his suspension risk. Uh, I'm going to blank on who did the thread, but there's a, a guy on Twitter who does awesome. Drew, like, Drew Davenport does uh, breakdowns yes. of them. I think that's who I'm referring to. Yeah. He did a good thread uh, on Kamara's suspension risk. And his takeaway uh, was essentially he thinks that the suspension risk was really high and he uh, recommended people fade Kamara. So I think there's some reaction. He's also been pretty on it in terms of like last year he was saying like, I don't think he's getting suspended. Basically, you can you can draft yep. this guy uh, without worrying about the suspension, which ended up being exactly right. So, uh, but yeah, now it sounds like the, the situation has changed. Yeah. It sounds bad for him. So I guess assuming we're, we all think this is a bad price and, and let me know, or sorry, assuming we all think we should still fade Kamara around this price, which I think we're all in agreement there. Let me know if not, I, I guess I'll put this question to you, Pat, at what price would you start to click Camara, like how much farther would he have to fall? Yeah, I've been trying to think about this because um, I, I thought he was somewhat interesting before I realized, like, you know, when I came back, one of my first impressions was like, oh, Camara here, okay, I can get on board with this. Um, but then I didn't really register how much suspension risk I would be eating by taking him there. Um, and so I've been trying to think through exactly where. Because, okay, let's say you, he misses, like, eight games. I mean, you, you kind of need him to be priced at, like, the level of a handcuff running back. Like, you need to be able to have him not contribute for a long stretch of the season and have that be okay. Uh, so that starts to become appealing, what, in, like, the eighth or ninth round? Uh, so we're getting – I guess we're getting close – yeah, so you're saying like a high end hand because when you said initially handcuff, I think of those guys as like more in like the 120s, 130s. But you're talking like a high end handcuff, like, like a high end handcuff, like AJ Dillon type. AJ Dillon type. I was happily taking Rashad White in the ninth and tenth round last year, who I thought would have, you know. But again, like that type of profile, right? He's like not going to give you much, much uh, production early in the season, but you're hoping by mid season. He's actually contributing. Obviously, in Kamara's case, it's not because he's a rookie coming on. It's because he's returning from suspension. But unlike you know a, a rookie, you feel probably a little more confident that Kamara actually has a legit role when he gets back. So, yeah, it feels yeah feels like maybe the eighth would th that would be my gut feel on it. Pete, you have any thoughts on on Kamara? Yeah, that that one's tough too because I was basically trying to think that you want three different discounts with him, right? You want the, he might be dust discount. You want the yeah. offense might suck discount and you want the suspension risk discount. And so eighth round is just like on the fringe there where it's like, is that baking in enough of those discounts? Right. Like if you, if you took away, yeah, he's not a smash in the eighth. He's not, he's, he's not, you don't have to take him. Yeah. Like if you took away the suspension risk, like if say we knew he was fully healthy, he was going to play start week one projected to play all 17 games. Like where do you think he should go in that scenario? Six. Sorry, no, no suspension risk. Where do you yeah, think you would go? limit? I'm trying to figure out how much of yeah. that ADP is attributed to just the suspension risk. I think fifth I think, round, fourth round. I wouldn't be taking him in the fifth. I, I think I'd start to get a little interested in the sixth. Yeah, because because I actually worry about the that he might be done risk, um, or that they don't know how to use him anymore. Risk uh, now that Peyton's gone. I mean, he, he's not yeah. getting used as the, you know, the the high volume receiving guy. They're they're running him too much, and also, I don't know his his efficiency's really dropped, and he's an older back, so you start to get pretty nervous when when yeah. uh, those guys splash inefficiency. Yeah, 
I think that sounds about right. I think I'd be waiting to like, I, I think he needs a much bigger fall for me to start taking him like around pick 100, 110, I think. Um, okay. Because like you said, that's sixth fair. round, I mean, that sixth round is like picks 60 to 72 and he's only at 79. If you're saying you take him in the sixth round without the suspension risk, then I think you need a, a pretty huge discount. I, I know these are tournaments that are weighted towards weeks 15 through 17, but I don't know. Deshaun Watson, different situation, you know, quarterback versus running back, but he was suspended for 12 games last year and he was basically free, right? Like it's not a one-to-one comparison, but I think that Kamara's price is going to fall much farther than this. Um, if That's probably the best good. point is that this isn't, a, this isn't where he's going to settle. So why take him? Why kind of kind of catch the falling knife as, as we go down? Like you might as yeah. well wait until, because I don't think that, people fully realize how likely he is to be suspended for a long time. Yeah, I I agree with that. And the market always like double counts these things too. Like even if it is priced into his uh, value now that there's a suspension risk, when the suspension is announced, like I think we have a tendency to even double count those things. I mean, it makes sense. He would go down anyways, but anyways, like I agree with that point completely. I, I think he'll fall further and um, you can get a much better price on him later if you're interested in drafting Camara. So let's move on here to the teams. And, and this chart takes a little more explaining than the other ones. Um, so what I did here is I looked at the average of top five players on each team by ADP. So for example, for Philadelphia, that would be like Hertz. Goddard, Devonta, AJ Brown, probably Miles Sanders, and average that. And that comes out to around 40 uh, in terms of average ADP. And the idea here is to look at uh, which teams are more or less expensive. And I also put on the bottom of this chart here odds to win Super Bowl. It's just like a rough proxy of how good we think those teams are. So, you know, the more expensive teams should be teams like the Eagles, the Bengals, the 49ers, the Bills, the Chiefs. You know, the teams that are sort of consensus by market odds, uh, highest chance of winning the Super Bowl. Um, So what this chart shows here, I thought the most potentially interesting thing. um, Yeah, there is one question in the chat. I did mean to point this out. Um, these numbers do, so how underdog like deals with free agents is they still assign players to their most recent team, even if they are free agents for, for the most part, like this is getting into the weeds here, but Derek Carr is not listed with the team. Cause he was cut by the right. Vegas, by Las Vegas, but like Schultz, um, is still listed with Dallas Sanders is still listed with the Eagles. So there's some confounding things going on there where players that may be leaving the teams are included with their team's ADP. So I, I will point that out. This will get more accurate as things get more settled. Um, but anyways, like the, the biggest thing that jumped out to me here, and, and this goes to the point on the quarterbacks, Kansas City and Buffalo, they rank in like the top 10 in terms of most expected te- uh, most expensive teams, but they're around like seventh and eighth. And that's why that's part of the reason why I am totally fine with drafting Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in the second hmm. round, because you can stack them up with players at very cheap prices and ultimately not pay that much. Like, I guess to compare it with like Jacksonville, if you want to stack Trevor Lawrence, you got to take like Lawrence and Ridley in like the fourth and fifth round. 
if you want to do a KC stack where you just tack on McKinnon, Tony, Sky Moore, Noah Gray, whatever, you can can get gross with it. Some of those players are going to be playing valuable snaps for the Chiefs, and you can get them at a pretty pretty cheap cost. So I'm okay. I'm like I really want to consider this year not just the price of the individual player, but the price of the stack I'm getting with the quarterbacks. That's something last year that got me on CD Lamb pretty late, even though I thought he was a bad value. Dak was so cheap that I'm like, okay, I'm all right paying for CD if he's a little overpriced. If I think Dak is way underpriced, um, I think that's just something we should hmm. be considering going forward. Anyways, I'll, I'll hand it to to you, Pat. Do you think does that change your perspective on the quarterbacks at all? Like considering the teammates are so cheap, cheap for both um, Mahomes and Josh Allen. It does a little bit, yeah. I like your point on on really trying to think through the overall value of the stack because one thing I I find right now is that it's a little hard to stack as much as I would like. I, you know, I'm often finding myself like in a round being like, this guy's so much better than the other options. Yes, he's completely uncorrelated with the rest of my team, but I'm just going to take him anyway. Yeah. Um, and one thing I have noticed to your point on, uh, and the point this chart makes about the Chiefs being pretty cheap, MVS is very, very cheap. Um, and he's under contract, whereas... Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is not, um, and I don't know. I mean, yep. I guess they could move on from MVS. Uh, they can save uh, – he's got $4 million in dead cap and an $11 million cap hit, so I guess they can save $7 million this year by releasing him, um, although it says $9 million on Spotrack. But whatever it is, uh, you know, he's somewhat of a cut candidate, but yep. he is currently under contract at least, so that I think that makes him pretty interesting at price. And then, yeah, Sky Moore. Tony's a little expensive to me, just given that I think he might be kind of a gadget guy. But obviously, a lot of upside given his athleticism and playmaking ability if, if he's actually out there more next year. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's probably it's probably a smart way to think about it, to, to get some Mahomes exposure and then just stack it up. And those teams, there are guys that you know are going to be on the team. They're going to be under contract. They're going to have some kind of role. Uh, I see Sacrilegious mentioning Miami here. I mean, Miami's a really tricky one, right? Because you have to spend a first and second round pick on Hill and Waddle, which I'm fine to do. I'm fine to That's take That's doable, though. I've, I've done that a number of times. It's doable, but I'm saying, like, then their offense is so concentrated. Gesicki's a free agent who's probably going to walk. Like, there's no other guys you feel, like, comfortable really tacking on to a team level bet there. I don't, I don't tack anybody on. I, and that's actually why, that's why I think it's viable to go first and second round because it's so, so concentrated. So you just get those two guys. So, so cheap, I think too. So, I mean, exactly. Two is cheap. So you just get those two plus Tua and you have your stack done. Uh, It's almost the reverse of the Mahomes one where you can just kind of tack on pieces as you go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Miami, that's a good one to point out um, where, yeah, I, I, like I think sacrilegious is making the point against Miami a little bit in the chat, but yeah, for me, it's just like, you know, those are going to be the two guys. Maybe they add some other people, but I feel so confident that that's going to be, I don't know, 50% share of Miami's passing offense. If I grab those two guys, I, mean, I think even more last year, it was, it was probably right. even more. Um, and they're both so talented too. It's not like, you're just betting on the situation like they could add a rookie and like i don't know good luck to that rookie like there's those dudes are earning their targets yeah that makes sense the one thing that stood out to me is like if i, if I was to look at this chart and say what's the most overvalued team i 
think it's the Jags. Um, to me, the prices there to stack the Jags up are pretty expensive. You have Lawrence going at 55, ETN in the third. Uh, I think Kirk and Ridley both in sort of the, the fourth and fifth range. Um, there's definitely a world where Trevor Lawrence smashes and elevates all those guys. And I, I wouldn't say I want like zero Trevor Lawrence, but to me, it just stands out as a place that is potentially overvalued. And, and maybe we can talk about, you know, Ridley later. I, I have some more thoughts, but um, I think I'm shying away from Jacksonville a little bit um, based on this information. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on potentially overvalued teams shown on this chart. Pete, you've made the point about like, you know, being okay drafting Mahomes and Allen um, more than this second group of, of quarterback stuff. And to me, like the guy that jumps out to me when you say that is, is Lawrence where I'm like, does yeah. he even have this huge ceiling? It's a little like Herbert from last year where he was going, um, you know, it was just like it was kind of crazy expensive to be able to stack up the Chargers. Um, and it's like, are we even sure that his weekly ceiling is on par with the other guys, the other quarterbacks going in this range? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Sam that Jacksonville feels expensive. That one, I, I haven't taken Lawrence once. I, I probably will have like 0% of him as if his ADP is there this yeah. entire offseason and there's just a general um like dark horse buzz around the jags and it's not even that dark horse because we saw him in the playoffs but you can go look uh like even on sports betting twitter like the jags super bowl future is like one of the most popular ones right now them and the lions so like people are just really enthused about this jags team and then you add ridley to the mix and it just kind of sent this hype to the stratosphere so yeah i my take has been i'd much rather bet a jags future than i would like drafting you know, Ridley and Trevor Lawrence where they're going right now. Yeah. Can I ask you guys about Lamar Jackson? Because um, I was on the FFPC show last night with uh, Eric Balkman, and he was kind of making the point that, like, are we sure Jackson is going to be playing for, like, anybody? If he's, like, is there holdout risk here? Because he seems pretty intense on this guaranteed money, this, like, real standoff vibes. Um, because I think if – if he, if you make the assumption that like, look, this is going to get worked out, he's playing. He's probably the best quarterback value on the board at the current prices of everybody. I mean, he's like, he's going right behind Justin Fields, I think. And it's like the hope for Justin Fields is that he is Lamar Jackson. Um, and Jackson, even if he doesn't play for the Ravens, it might be for a better situation. Like what if the Jets decide to go all in and, and they go get Jackson? Like, I think I like him better on the Jets than I do uh, on the Ravens. So, I mean, that's like a spot where, yes, it's still a lot to pay for Jackson if you're getting him at like the in the fourth round. But if you're getting like fourth round Jackson versus second round, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, like that's I mean, he belongs with those guys in terms of his uh, his weekly ceiling. Yeah, that that one's tough for me because. I have heard more and more that this holdout risk seems seems more and more likely. Mm -hmm. I had the same thought as you. Like when I opened the ADB first time I drafted the big board, I was like, Lamar Jackson's the best QB value relative to other ones. Like I, I was taking him a lot. If I'm being consistent with how I'm treating other players and like thinking about ADP movement, I think Lamar Jackson's ADP is going to 
fall a bit before it rises again. So I think I want to hold off a little bit and, and maybe be more at market with Lamar than like significantly over market, which I think I am right now. Um, that said, yeah, it's just hard to imagine like him. It just feels like posturing right now. And it's hard to imagine him actually not playing the whole season. Maybe he gets traded. Maybe he's unhappy. Um, but I just have a hard time imagining it, it going to like the extreme of like a Le'Veon Bell type situation. But I, I could be wrong there. I, I don't know. The other thing that's tough, and I feel like I'm now walking back my thing of like, I'd rather take Mahomes and Allen than, you know, reach for the Lamar Jackson, the Herberts or whatever in the fourth. But when you do look at the 2v2s on like the wide receivers in those ranges, yeah. like yeah. you're getting Amon Ra, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, Devonta Smith. The wide receivers going in the fourth are Amari Cooper, Christian Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin. Like, yeah. that 2v2 is tough. Like, I do start to lead toward the Lamar Jackson side and, and, and get me one of those wide receivers. The tag's $32.4 million for Jackson this year. He's not playing for $32.4 I understand he doesn't have any long-term, you know, uh, certainty there. But, like, God, that seems like you, you play – you isn't the move to do the Kirk Cousins thing where you play out the tags and then you actually hit free agency and then you get the guaranteed money? Um, I just, it's hard for me to imagine him actually, like how does it help his situation to sit out a year? Like, I, I, I think, know. yeah, I, guess. I think the concern is like, I agree with you, Pat. I think the concern is more like of a hold in type situation where he does mm-hmm, play mm-hmm. on that contract, but like makes it really hard on the team. Like, doesn't meet with new OC Todd Munkin until right before week one, like doesn't really show uh-huh. up. Like uh-huh. I think that that is like the downside fear than him, like outright, just, just not playing. That so, makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It could just make it ugly for, for the offense, but yeah, I have a hard time seeing him like not actually showing up for 30 plus million or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we made the point with Miami, like, you take Tua, you take Tyreek, and you take um, Jalen Waddle, and you have the entire offense. With Baltimore, you take Lamar, you take Mark Andrews, and you take Which you Rashad can do Bateman. if you're on the turn there. If yeah. you're like right at the 4-5 turn, the 3, sorry, the 3-4 turn, you can get Andrews Lamar. Yeah, uh, and, Bateman's, and Bateman. Bateman's super cheap too. Yeah, Dobbins cheap. is, I think Dobbins is undervalued too. The whole, the whole team is undervalued, so yeah. I don't know. I, I'm talking myself in circles here. Uh, it's a tough situation. I think I'm. I lean. I lean buy on Baltimore more than sell, um, but I acknowledge the risk with with Lamar a little bit that he falls. Yep. Um. So we'll go on to the the next slide here. Still looking at teams, uh, and these. So the first the first chart was showing the 16 most expensive teams. Now this is the 16 cheapest teams in terms of average ADP by by top five players ranging all the way from Arizona Green Bay Las Vegas Chicago and sort of the middling range to teams that are hilariously cheap like Carolina where you can apparently get their top five players at an average ADP of 180 um yeah nobody wants anybody in Carolina which which makes sense they have no quarterback under contract besides Matt Corral um anyways um I think it's important here. Like these are the teams where you can find last year's Jaguars. I I didn't make this chart from last year, but I would guess, you know, the Jaguars would have shown up in sort of the Chicago, Las Vegas area of this chart. Um, You know, Lawrence is really cheap. ETN wasn't too expensive. Kirk, Zay Jones, very cheap for the wide receivers. Yeah. 
So to our conversation around the Jaguars, like I think you want to find the next Jaguars and not bet on, you know, last year's Jaguars making another jump when they're already extremely uh, expensive now. So to me, a team here that I'm really excited about and I'm drafting a ton of is Chicago. Uh, Justin Fields is the only expensive piece here. Uh, you can really do like a mega stack once you get Fields. You can tack on Herbert. You can tack on Claypool, Mooney, Komet. I'm I really like Mooney and Komet just for mm-hmm. the values. And certainly, there's risk that Chicago brings in uh, a, a rookie or free agent wide receiver. But we've already talked about how you know the the free agent wide receiver class is pretty weak. I actually think the rookie wide receiver class doesn't have a ton of depth after the top uh, four or five guys. So. To me, if if Justin Fields makes that leap and he's worth the you know 36 overall pick um, at ADP right now, some of those Chicago pass catchers are are going to contribute spike weeks over the course of the year. So I've done a lot of Chicago uh, mega stacks, um, sort of informed by this chart. The, I like the Jet the Jets stand out to me too. For you know, I'm glancing at your Super Bowl odds and then relative to the price of the stack. And if you do want to do the you know draft like your right thing, if you want to say maybe play Rogers to the Jets, something yeah. like that. Rogers is cheap. Elijah Moore is very cheap. If you had any interest in a guy like Zonovan Knight um, or Michael Carter, you can get those guys late. I, I mean, I like Brees's price too. So that seems yeah. like a team that could take a really big leap and outside of Garrett Wilson, they're all really affordable. The thing you can do with Rogers too, is you can take, I, I like Brees Hall a lot where he's going. So um, I've been getting him and you can, you can take Rogers and then you can tack on like a Hunter Renfro who like, yeah. I don't mind, you know, another guy who's going to be under contract has a, has a role carved out. Um, or you could kind of you could do the reverse, you know. If you, you take like a Josh Jacobs or Devonte Adams, you can grab like Elijah Moore. And I, because I, to me, I'm like he's going he's going to one of the two. Or if you think maybe he goes back to Green Bay, Romeo Dubs is pretty cheap. Like I'll kind of mix up, uh, you know, just like some cheap pieces. And I'm doing that in a couple different ways. You know, um, I've done that with like you get a Colt, you get a Panther, and then you go take Anthony Richardson, you know, or mm-hmm. you take Levis, and it's like. Uh, you know, you've got a couple different outs to to stacks, and I think a lot of those guys are interesting to begin with. Like, I think Alec Pierce is pretty interesting going very late. Um, if you want to do this and do the Bryce Young version, I think uh, Nico Collins is actually pretty interesting. Uh, he flashed as a second year guy, and he's under contract. And I, like I said, I think Cooks is probably elsewhere, so he's like maybe like a number one receiver kind of a weak number one receiver, but I think, yeah. I think I have pretty nice value where he's going. So I'll kind of do that. Like I'll throw a couple different darts at teams that are in the rookie quarterback mix and then draft a couple of rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that's smart. Uh, another team I want to point out here uh, is the Rams. I think the pendulum has uh, swung too far in the other direction with the Rams where people are really down on them. They were in the Super Bowl two years ago and it thinks Stafford should be back healthy enough i don't mind just going you know stafford cup higby stafford cup i don't know alan robinson is disgusting but Hmm. i I think somebody on the rams um will land there as like a another like a reasonable number two passing option besides cup it's it's sort of hard to pick that out but that that stack is really cheap i also i like it's probably van jefferson to be honest who's in the last year of his rookie deal but he's he was yeah. out there running around. So 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely kind of it's kind of a gross one, but I think they're a, a little a little too cheap. Um, and they well, could, Stafford, I, I could definitely Stafford feels a, yeah. very cheap to me in a, in a situation where in an overall environment where the quarterbacks are very expensive. What is the? I don't actually even understand why Stafford's going where he's going. Are people like still worried he might retire or something? I think it's just because even when Cooper Cup is healthy, like he's just putting up middling quarterback numbers. He didn't in 2021. He, I mean, he passed for almost 5,000 yards, 41 touchdowns. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's, I think there still is a bit of a ceiling there with Stafford. I think people are forgetting it a little bit, but. He is older. Like I see the point. Like when he played last year, it was very middling before um, he got injured. But I don't know. I think McFay is a smart coach. Like I'd I'd give the Rams like a chance to turn it around and at least be like a fringe playoff team. I think that's like well within the range of outcomes. And in that scenario, I think like Stafford and and Cup and someone else give you some decent scores. But um, yeah. Um, any other. Any other teams here? Anyone want to make the case for going all in on uh, like the Texans or the Panthers? Something really disgusting. Well, I will say our guy Nick. Um, you know, I, I I have a hard time saying anything nice about the Texans, but I do like the prices of some of the Panthers. I like both of the Panthers running backs, Chuba and Deontay Foreman, look mm-hmm. like good values. I mentioned DJM earlier. Um, I'm not a huge Terrace Marshall guy, but I'm getting sold a little bit. But those guys are super cheap, and you could see that situation improve a good bit this year. I yeah. like that. And look, I think the Texans are a pretty solid value. Like Damian Pierce, um, I think isn't a terrible pick where he's going, you know, especially in half point PPR and underdog. Like um, he's not like someone that I'm going out of my way to take, but I think it's, it's a totally palatable price to pay for him. And then uh, like I said, I think Nico Collins is like kind of wildly underpriced. Uh, He was kind of operating in in tandem with cooks as the, as the top receiver. And if cooks go, if cook goes like we know what they're doing in the first round, right? They're taking a quarterback. So even if they take a second round wide receiver, I don't know that that's like a huge death blow to Nico Collins. Like he's getting a quarterback upgrade. So, and there's outcomes where he gets a quarterback upgrade and he's like kind of the clear top option there. I think it'd be kind of a Darnell Mooney esque number one, but that's still like a, a guy we'd probably be taking in the ninth round or something. So um, I think you can, you can, I don't know who else to do it with. I mean, you can, in a way, I think you can kind of quote mega stack the Texans and take cooks and Collins. But what you're probably really hoping for is that um, cooks gets traded, but you know, you're still sort of benefiting from the correlation there in a sense of uh, now, now Nico's more valuable. Yeah. In general, like these cheaper teams, I think I'm more in favor of like the running back and wide receiver from the t- the same team stack because what you're really betting on is just that the team is like everyone thinks the Colts, Patriots, Titans, Houston, Carolina, Tampa Bay, everyone thinks these teams just suck and you're benefiting from just the team being better than expectation if they get lucky and, you know, Derek Carr signs with one of these teams or, you know, who knows what happens, some kind of upgrade that lifts up every player on the team i'm more inclined like on a team like carolina like i'm fine with just taking like foreman hubbard you know dj Moore all together like whatever i I think there's correlation there um if the whole offense is better than expected by the way people pointing out houston also picks at 12 so um 
Yeah, yeah, that probably lot... wouldn't be great if they they brought in Quentin Johnston or something. But yeah. I still don't I think Nico's like the... dead at that price. I was going to say just like every mock that I see has them going quarterback wide receiver with those yeah. first two picks, just because it's like the logical uh, thing. Who knows if they'll do that, but it is uh, a popular avenue. For we them. have to be smashing Brandon cooks then, right? Like if they go quarterback uh, wide yeah. receiver, he's gone. And, and I'm, I don't know. I cooks. think he still has something left. Cooks definitely feels like a guy. Again, when we talk about certifiable NFL skill set. His speed um, is something that, like I have a hard time seeing him completely falling off the map. Like some NFL team, I think still values what Brandon Cooks brings to the table, and it's hard to imagine his team situation getting worse uh, from what it was last year. So yeah, he's a boring veteran at, at pick a hundred. I'm betting now. I bet he like lands in some situation where he ends up going in like the 80s, 70s later in the year. So I just want to take him like now right. before that happens. I mean, he could go to Cleveland, right? They they could really use somebody, and yep. uh, you know reunite with Deshaun Watson there. Um, something like that. I think maybe he doesn't go way above where he's going now, but I think he would go higher. Dallas that's actually is a good one. A good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. To Dallas. Yeah. Dallas desperately needs to make some kind of move at wide receiver. Um, so yeah, I, I've been thinking about Dallas for like wish casting every free agent wide receiver ending up there. All right, let's, let's move on to some, uh, some of the positional ADP discussion. Now this one this week um, didn't have a ton of movement, so we don't need to spend a ton of time here, but the idea of this chart, it's kind of similar to, to the last chart where um, for each positional band here, I'm taking the average of a positional grouping. So for example, for quarterbacks uh, for QB one, that means I'm looking at the average ADP of all quarterbacks drafted one through 12 and tracking how that's moving uh, about 10 days ago compared to now. So in this chart here, you can see the quarterback one prices are falling a little bit. On average, a quarterback one is going about four picks later than they were uh, a week ago. Uh, so I think this is just interesting from like a structural perspective to keep your eye on what positional groups are trending up or down. Um, Cause I think that can really help you figure out, Oh wow. You know, RB twos mm. or whatever are way cheaper than they were then they should be, I'm going to sort of take a bunch of wide receivers early and then hammer RB2s or, or something along those lines. Um, so I'll, I'll hit on the... Did you of, look at where this compares to last year? Because, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, the time of year's changing this as well, but I, I would not be surprised if in August QB1s are still going a bit higher than they were last year. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I have not looked at that, but that would be a good thing to, to layer on at some point as we look at this chart. Um, yeah. I, I'd imagine that like quarterback ones are not going to revert to the mean, but they'll probably revert somewhat. Uh, th there's been a lot of discussion about the quarterback. So I don't know if we need to talk through that as much. The, the one thing that jumped out a ton to me here is that running backs, running back three and fours, which are running backs ranked 25 through 48 basically cost you the same as wide receiver five through wide receivers fives and sixes, which makes it, you know, it makes sense at some point, right? Like usually you'll draft more wide receivers than you draft running backs. Like, I don't think that there's a reason for that, but uh, I think to me that just like, it shows that there's a ton of uncertainty in the running backs right now. And people as a result are just like leaning into the safety of the like talented wide receivers that are sort of, certain to have some kind of role 
Whereas like there's more running backs, you know, the rookies, some of these veteran free agents that are likely to like completely fall off a cliff. Um, so anyways, I, I just thought that was interesting, uh, but not a ton of movement here. I don't know, Pete, Pat, did you have any, any other thoughts looking at this chart of sort of the positional movement at ADP? One thing that's jumped out to me is the tight ends. I mean, it just gets so, so rough after like Dulcich. So I, I guess Taysom Hill's really your backstop. And I've taken a, a fair amount of Taysom Hill because he actually he's he's another guy who like is under contract. They can't get rid of him because of his yeah. stupid contract and he has tight end eligibility. So but after him, I'm like, it's a bunch of guys who like literally do not have jobs. I mean, Hayden Hurst does not have a job, right? Tyler even Tyler Hibby's kind of a cut candidate. Um, Mike Jasicki doesn't have a job. There's a bunch of these guys who are going in this range who are currently not employed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I'm like, are they, they're not that good either. So are they really going to land somewhere and be starters? I mean, Dalton Schultz is the most expensive version of these guys. Evan um, Ingram also a free agent. He's gone pretty high. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I'm like more optimistic. He resigns. They seem to be mutually yeah. mutual interest there, but, but still, yeah. I mean, if he's not on the Jaguars, like, it's it could get pretty bad. We we weren't that interested in drafting Evan Ingram last year. So tight end is a, a position where I'm trying not to get completely left out in the cold. But then at the same time, um, you know, Spags has talked a lot about this on Splash Play. You can get these rookie tight ends really late. And I like I like tacking on a third rookie tight end or even drafting Michael Mayer as my second tight end. Um, but I think that the rookies kind of help alleviate this problem. But in general, uh, it's just it's just tough, man. There's just so many guys that we don't even know if they have jobs. Like Daniel Bellinger late is like, oh, wow, okay. I, well, at least he's starting. At least I know I got a starter. But it's like he, to me, is like, yeah. you know, kind of an oasis in the desert. The, the other thing that's just kind of interesting to me this year, when you look at the tight end one thing, and obviously that's being so heavily anchored by Kelsey's ADP. But do you mm-hmm. guys think, like, to that point about, you know, people liking this rookie tight end class. I mean, I know a lot of us like these, um, these sophomore tight ends as well, who flashed toward the end of last year. Do you think we see any kind of like the modified anchor tight end stuff where people really start to come in again on Kittle on Waller? I know Waller's cheaper, but the pits, these guys that now you are getting at even a cheaper price tag than they were last year. Do you think this, you know, chasm is going to continue to hold? I'm not sure what people do. I, I thought it was interesting that one of the takeaways from this past year was generally was like, you know, man, we just really shouldn't have been taking any of these early tight ends. It's like I had Kittle on my team, you know, and it's like to me, I'm like, I, I think this year proved just how powerful early round tight end is because Kittle didn't really do anything all year until mm-hmm. the playoff weeks. And then it's like, because tight end is so gross that's why it matters that you have a guy who can i know it feels i mean it feels random because it is random that he happened to have the the spike weeks in the right weeks which are week 15 and 16 but like because it's such a gross position that like almost on its own gets you through a single week tournament it's just so 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 powerful and if it ends up being another year where it's kelsey and a bunch of nothing. I still want. I still want a guy who can have a week fifteen ceiling game, and that be enough to propel me through. And the fact that it's a bunch of nothing outside of Kelsey means 
if as long as you didn't spend too much at the position overall, you'll probably be fine. Uh, you know, as long as you hit on enough uh, for your team. So like with with Pitts going in like the fifth, sixth, um, I'm interested again. You know, I'm interested in. You know, I don't want to pay like a third round price for these guys who aren't Kelsey, but you you don't really have to outside of Andrews. And I actually think Andrews is uh, is decently priced there. So um, I think he's probably a, a probably cut above the rest of the the tight ends beyond Kelsey. But I don't know if it's going to hold. But I kind of like getting my you know getting some exposure to Hawkinson and Goddard and Pitts um, and Andrews at, at these prices and Kittle. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you there. And the Andrew stuff, like I, I'm still taking a good amount of Andrews. I think like there's always sort of ordering bias, uh, if you can call it that, and how we think about these players. If if Andrews had finished the season in the fantasy playoffs with that stretch he put up at the beginning of the year, uh, when he was you know having a ton of good weeks, I think he would be priced higher. At least for best box, would have that in their memory. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I want guys that can match the ceiling of Kelsey, even if they can't match the consistency. Right. And once right. you drop drop past like a certain point, I mean, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, Zach Ertz. Hayden those guys Ertz. are Everett's a free agent, though. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah my my sorry, point sorry, is like those. Saying, yeah. yeah th- my point is those guys are like kind of dead. Like we've, I think I've seen enough of those guys over their career. Um, that they're sort of like dead to give me a weekly ceiling that that matches one of the elite tight ends uh, is the point I was trying to make. Uh, and again, tons of downside risk that these guys are free agents and are replaced by rookies um, that, you know, it's a strong tight end rookie class. So what is going on with Ertz's ADP? I mean, like he's coming off a, a knee injury. His quarterback's coming off a knee injury. There's a rookie tight end behind him. Uh, like, I, I don't know, like he shouldn't even be getting drafted <laughs> <laughs> yeah I had the same thought on Ertz. It yeah i think he's just sense. he's just buoyed still by whatever name brand value he has but like going back to the um the elite tight end thing now that we're getting these guys at cheaper prices you can almost have your cake and eat it too specifically in the big board with 20 rounds where you know there i think there's more of an opportunity cost if you're going two versus three tight ends like in in best ball mania but the whole thing of like the reason you want the Kittle or the Waller is knowing in the money weeks they could put up a 30 burger. And a lot of those other guys mm-hmm. don't have that capability. Mm-hmm. But because you have the luxury of two extra spots, you can get in a couple extra tight end stacks, or you can still get three tight ends, tack on a Kincaid, a Michael Mayer, whoever you want as your more fringe. Like it feels like less of a tough choice than it will be, I think, in the 18 round drafts. I agree with that. Yeah. 100%. Yep. I am also taking some Fryermuth and some Dulcich as kind yeah. of the last of the like I the tier that I want to sit out at tight end. Usually I'm not a big fan of like the tight ends going in the late single digit, early double digit rounds. Um, I usually try to be underweight that group, um, or just happens that I I feel that I want to be underweight that group. But like you know, Komet, Dulcich, um, uh, Fryermuth, I think are all pretty interesting. In Joku as well, I think are all pretty interesting. Yep going in that general range um, because after them, it's like dudes who don't have jobs. And so if I can get, you know, one of those guys or two of those guys and then tack on, you know, a rookie who might have at least a small, small chance of doing something for me down the stretch. um, I feel pretty good. And I feel like 
hey, I got three guys with jobs. Like that's going to be, that's like, that's like upside these days at the tight end position. I got three dudes with jobs. Maybe one of them catches a touchdown in the playoffs. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I think that at a certain point at tight end, like you just care about snaps. We we talked about this a lot. If you watch stat chasing, like tight ends that are seeing 90% of their team snaps and maybe are bad at football, like Cole Komet, I'm not saying he's bad, but maybe he is bad. Those guys can still have spike weeks because they're just on the field a ton. And eventually the variance is going to swing in their favor. We saw a three-week stretch last year with Komet where he had a bunch of touchdowns, some long, long plays down the field. So yeah, getting that getting that security of the guys that are again, there's no guarantee that you know Chicago doesn't draft a tight end that replaces Komet, but I feel way more certain that Komet has a role, you know, than a Dalton Schultz, than you know, Gerald Everett, Mike Kosicki, the guys we're talking about. So I think it is worth paying a bit for for that role um, now. Let's talk about uh, the rookies quickly. This chart here, we're looking at underdog ADP compared to the consensus big board ranking uh, via NFL mock draft, draft database. Um, so essentially what NFL mock draft database does, for those who are unfamiliar, they take, I think, like hundreds of industry consensus uh, big boards and aggregate that. So you kind of have a view of how <clears throat> how NFL teams, scouts, media members, et cetera, are viewing uh, these players as sort of a signal for their draft capital. Um, obviously, this is not this is not perfect this time of year. Like I, I wouldn't look at this chart and see where I have undervalued and overvalued label labeled and say, you know, this is 100% facts. Like it's not, it's not black and white. There's, there's definitely some gray here this far out before the draft. Um, but I do think it is important to look at how draft capital, protected draft capital compares with these players' ADPs. Um, so for me at, at running back, I'll start with my takeaways. I think that after, I think both Gibbs and Bijan are great picks. Um, and then after that, I think I, I don't completely understand like the ADP of guys like Charbonnet, Tucker, and Spears compared to guys like a chain, uh, a chain Evans and Bigsby. It seems like there's a lot of places where you can just like make the arbitrage pick of the guy that seems like he'll have just as good draft capital and is going like 50 picks later. Like, for example, if you compare Charbonnet versus a chain. A chain's going around pick 150. Charbonnet is going in like the late 90s. Where, but you know, industry consensus big boards actually have A chain going higher than Charbonnet. So for me, it's just like I want to be overweight A chain. I want to be under underweight Charbonnet. Obviously, there's still a ton of uncertainty about like where these guys ultimately land. So I'm not going like 100% A chain and 0% Charbonnet. Like I'm, I'm not doing that exactly. But I do want to sort of use this to inform like. Which of these prices just just make sense and don't make sense? So, yeah, I guess Pat, I'll kick it to you. Do you, do you think there's a good reason for a chain to be going that much lower than than Charbonnet? Like, do you see it how I see it, or um, do you want to make a, a counter argument to that point? I think the counter argument would be that like Charbonnet in a half point PPR format is just a much more interesting archetype. He's a big mm -hmm. dude. Watching him run, you're like, yeah, I think this is going to translate fine. Um, and you know, you can see kind of the touchdown upside and he's the type of guy who as a third round pick in a good situation, we would probably feel pretty comfortable drafting ahead of a chain 
as a second round pick and kind of more of a, yeah, he's going to be like a rotational back type of type of guy. Like, I don't think we would have any problem doing that, but we don't know that's how it's going to go. And a chain look, looks like he's going to be like maybe a second round pick in the NFL draft. Maybe he's a third round pick, but his speed isn't really in question. He's a sprinter. It's like documented. The dude is really, really fast. So I don't get why he goes where he goes. I mean, it's just once he gets drafted where he's very likely to get drafted, he will not be being he won't get drafted in on underdog drafts and best ball drafts where he's being drafted now. So he seems kind of he's an easy click for me. And I don't really love his profile. I just think if we're talking about getting good prices on guys, he's one of the most obvious examples of once the NFL draft capital comes through or becomes exceedingly clear that it's about to come through, they're just he's not going to go pick 150. He's going to go earlier than that. The other question I would ask you guys about this chart is how big of a distinction do we think it is being a fourth round rookie running back pick through a seventh round or sixth round, just knowing so much of it is going to be driven by ultimately where they're going, the depth chart in the opportunity, like how much I definitely get it for these early guys. I think, you know, first, second round picks, even third, still matter a lot but i just wonder on the back end if you can draw too many conclusions even by projected draft cost yeah i'm kind of with you pete where i think that like for me i sort of think of like first second third round and then i kind of group fourth to seventh together and that's not perfect like maybe some early fourth round picks like that's a bit more of a signal than like a late seventh round pick the team thinks they're good but yeah i'm really thinking about it like i want to be focusing a ton on the guys that are getting drafted in those first couple rounds um and then after that i think it's much more about landing spot and situation than draft capital once we sort of get to you know fourth through seventh round pat do do you see that similarly yeah uh to some extent, I think the draft capital still matters a little bit. Um, you know, like sometimes I wonder if some of the early fourth round guys, like I and I think maybe I've underrated some dudes that have gone in the early fourth, especially for their mm-hmm. rookie seasons, like Michael Carter. I was like, what are we doing? But it's like, no, he did actually get a fair amount of work, um, even as an early fourth. Damian Pierce in the early fourth. So um, I think maybe running backs at a position or like kind of a point with how the league values it, where maybe we should factor that in a little bit more than at least I have in the past. But yeah, generally I would say like day one, day two, day three. Um, and then we're looking at situations and profiles, you know, I think yeah. you still do. You, you don't want to just go on the draft capital. You want to look at the guys who were productive and are athletic um, and can have flashed receiving ability or have flashed a special talent as, as a rusher. One guy um, that has jumped out to me is Dwayne McBride in terms of his and I'm is he not on here? He's on the far right. D, yeah, right D McBride. Yeah. Oh, okay. So so I've seen pretty so maybe uh these mock drafts disagree. They must, but I've been looking at like, you know, ESPN, um, CBS, uh Dane Brugler stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems like McBride is someone who who is kind of in the mix for like a, a third round pick type of type mm-hmm. of dude. Okay. He he's got to run my, when you watch him, you're I, he could run, he could be four seven type of speed, and then his draft capital just absolutely craters. So that's I think the the real concern. He's not the, not a type of guy I would be like loading up on right now, but he goes around pick two hundred, and 
uh, he is kind of a Damian Pierce type of like pure more of it even than Damian. He's, he's like Rashad Penny, not quite as fast, more of like the Damian Pierce short bursties type stuff. Um, but, but like Penny in that he is going to be a pure two down rusher. So I guess it, this makes me a little nervous. I'm seeing that the, the draft capital is kind of low for him, but I've seen some people have him uh, pretty high in the kind of more like the day two mix. Okay. Yeah. And I think like the story is definitely not written on, on these guys. And like this chart will change a ton once the combine happens, um, you know, interviews these players. There's, there's a ton of big events coming up for these uh, rookie running backs. So I expect this to change a ton, which is why I'm not like too anchored on it. But, you know, as we get closer to the draft, I think these sorts of like consensus big boards are like relatively accurate, at least for the first couple rounds. Um, so definitely something I'll keep my my eye on going forward um, as we get sort of more information on these players. Uh, at a wide receiver here, I'll show the same view for the rookie wide receivers. Uh, I think the big thing that's going to jump out here is, and I've heard you know people talk about this already, the uh, Quentin Johnson and Jordan Addison versus Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, the basic story there is that sort of NFL scouts and people making these mock drafts and big boards generally see Johnson and Addison going ahead of Jackson Smith and Jigba, but fantasy drafters are much more excited about JSN. He goes around pick 55, whereas Johnson and Addison are right around pick 80. Um, so yeah, I, I've been thinking about this uh, a lot and, and trying to think if I'm missing something. I've largely been fading uh, JSN and taking uh, Johnson and Addison just because I think these prices are going to come close closer together after the draft. Um, I could be wrong about that though. Uh, I guess see, but I pack. think that that's one of those things that I make I sort of entertained the possibility of doing and decided, uh, uh-uh. I'm not going yeah. the whole big board without JSN because the big board's filling too fast. I don't <laughs> think there's enough time for people to be out on him and and fundamentally i don't know that it matters if he do i really care if jsn is pick 23 and quentin johnson's pick 15 in in relation to yeah i've made a big fade stance on jsn who i think is very talented i think i think has a ton of upside thinks a really strong prospect um and instead i'm thinking no i'm gonna mix in some jsn I'm not going to be, he's too expensive for me to be like all in on right now. Hopefully his price falls and I, and I can have more of them in other tournaments at a higher percentage. The guys that I, but I want to, I want to be overweight um, Addison and especially Johnston who I feel like his, his price doesn't really reflect his draft capital at all. So in this tournament, yeah. I'm hoping to be a little underweight JSN big time overweight Johnston. And then maybe by the time we get to best ball mania, it's more even. Yeah, that, that's fair. And I think like JSN's fantasy profile is probably more exciting than the other two guys. So they, they should be all, all be going close together with maybe JSN going a little bit higher. I just think the, the gap is too big, but um, I, I do, will. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I will probably start taking some JSN. It's just like putting in context of rookie wide receivers over the past several years, like it's a very expensive price. He's going in sort of like the Jamar chase range. He's going well ahead of like 
Waddle, Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, all these other rookie wide receivers that have gone like, you know, top 15 in the NFL draft and we're really excited about. Um, JSN is going like significantly higher than them with the exception of Chase. So I'm just thinking like, uh, I, I don't know, like, is it, and, and that might be like not the perfect way to think about it because Chase was a smash at that price. So like he doesn't have to be Chase to pay off there. Um, right. It just seems like, uh, a little, a little overvalued, but ultimately not a place where I want like a hard, a hard fade on him. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's end the show guys talking about, uh, we can put these charts away. Uh, something I want to keep track of over the course of the year is just what our favorite values are. And let's define this as like players we think are going to give us the highest, uh, closing line value. Hmm by um august or whenever vvm4 closes so think of it that way um curious uh and starting with you pete who is your favorite value right now on the big board it's funny because of how fluid it was because i got caught up in some of the anthony uh richardson hype because of spags and uh pat and now he's already like screaming up draft boards <laughs> so if you drafted him before this like you know in the past week uh i think you're gonna have some really good clv there <laughs> i believe i, I had 75 percent before this week so <laughs> yeah I, feel covered. I guess what i'll say i'll, I'll continue and i'll say I'll say the Panthers because I did draft a ton of DJ Moore. I've been taking Chuba and Deontay Foreman in a ton of drafts. Like I said, starting to come around on Terrace Marshall. I think all of those guys are going to continue to rise up. And I don't, I feel like Carolina kind of made their decision, right? They moved away from the, the bell cow back. They realized you don't build through that. They don't strike me as a team that's going to invest a lot either in the draft or free agency in their running back room. I feel like they feel like they have a good thing going with Chuba and Deonta Foreman. And I think once people realize that that is going to be kind of the backfield there, that both of those guys will start to get thrust up into more of a zero RB zone, as opposed to just like completely free. So I'll, I'll say the Panthers backfield. Wasn't it? Foreman's a free agent, right? Um, so I, I've been taking a lot of Hubbard because uh, Foreman is a free agent. I think that's, uh, you're I right. Think that's well, right. Yep. Yeah, he was just on yeah. a one-year contract, unrestricted. And Hubbard was played pretty yep. well last year, so so I think yep. Hubbard's. A, I like Hubbard a lot. I, I like yep. that call. Yeah, I like I like Hubbard too. I haven't taken him much. I think that's a bit of a blind spot. That that makes a lot of sense. Pat, who's your who's your prediction for a player that's going to screen up the boards the most? Uh, um, so this isn't exactly screaming up the boards, uh, but I think Brees Hall. You're not getting a two, three turn Brees Hall in August. You're just not. Um, yeah. And if you're not, it might be because his ACL timeline has taken a, a sour turn and you're getting fourth, fifth round Brees Hall. That's certainly a possibility. But I think the way things have come out so far, you know, he's ahead of schedule. Um, he flashed top five fantasy talent. You know, I, I was running things through the the screener that I use for the legendary running backs article. Um you know, that I'll be writing again this summer and Brees Hall finished number one among all running backs this year in sort of checking the boxes of, of what we're looking for there being young, being very explosive, being very efficient, being used as a receiver. Um, you know, he's, I, you know, I think a very strong candidate to have a legendary 23 plus PPR point season, um, you know, as strong a candidate as we have probably McCaffrey, you'd, you'd say it's a better bet, but, but outside of McCaffrey, 
you know, I think he, a healthy version of him might be the, the second best bet for that, like extreme upside on the board. Um, and the jets might be getting a quarterback upgrade. And when I say might be, it's like almost definitely to some extent we'll be upgrading over Zach Wilson, whether that's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether that's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they, whether that's Derek, they just told Derek Carr he'd be a first ballot hall of famer. If he signs with them, like they, they are <laughs> desperate. They're bringing somebody in. So, uh, I don't, that doesn't feel fully priced in and the market may be being a little bit more prudent than me right now in reflecting the fact that there is some downside risk with the ACL tear, but I'm confident that things are trending in the right direction on the health front. And if that continues to be the case, he's going to be more like the one Oh eight. I think, um, I don't know. Maybe he goes even a little higher than that. Are you taking him? Cause he goes pretty close to Kenneth Walker. And so I, I need to adjust my, I think you sort of swayed me a bit on Bryce, but I've been sort of doing the the simple thing where I'm like, ah, he's going close to Walker. I'm sure Walker's healthy. I'm going to take Walker and it's over Brees. Like, are you pretty confident that he should be going ahead of Walker? I am. Walker did not have a receiving profile coming in. He played okay. a lot of snaps. So he played more snaps than I thought he would, but he still didn't get used a ton as a receiver. Um, Seattle's not really a team that's prioritized getting the ball to their, their running back as a receiver anyway. Uh, and so when you're taking a running back in the first two rounds, I really do feel strongly that you, you want them to have access even in best ball, you know, it's probably more important in managed leagues to be going for the, the mega ceiling picks. But I think even in best ball, you, you want guys who at least have access to the mega legendary type seasons. And I, I think Hall has a much much stronger profile there just because of the receiving and he's just as explosive as Walker. And I think he's, you know, Walker really struggled with consistency, his success mm-hmm. rate, um, NFL next gen success rate on him. He was pretty bad and just watching him, you know, he gets stuffed a lot at the line. He's very much kind of a hit or miss explosion back. Um, that doesn't strike me really as the type of guy who's all that likely to put up an incredible season on the ground. I think you're, you're more looking at some, some nice spike weeks mixed in. Uh, so, I don't mind Walker where he's going, but Brees strikes me as someone who could end up being a smash in, in a similar way to like how Saquon Barkley was going around the two, three turn at the start of drafts last year. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, you know, he's going in the late first. Okay. Yeah. You, you sold me a bit on, on Hall. I think I need to definitely adjust my stance on him. Uh, so my favorite value, and this is getting into a, a grosser uh, name than, than Hall, but my favorite right now value right now is Rashad Penny at ADP of 185. And this is maybe going slightly against what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, ah, uh, some of these free agent running backs could be really left out. But I think with Penny, that's already fully baked in at that low of an ADP. And he's just way too talented of a running back to be going that late. I, I really see him as sort of a, you know, big hit, small loss type player where even like, you know, if he resigns with Seattle and maybe that should be the market expectation right now, he should be going in sort of like the talented handcuff mm-hmm. type range around like pick 130 to 140, I think, where it's just a contingent play that Walker goes down and and Penny becomes the lead guy. But there's also tons of upside scenarios where he lands, you know, on a team where he could compete for a starting job. You know, maybe the Bears competing with Khalil Herbert, maybe Philadelphia, if Sanders leaves Buffalo, um, if Singletary leaves, like there's some upside scenarios where he could push for a starting job and some on some good teams. So I just think overall, like 
I have a hard time seeing how his ADP falls uh, from pick 185. Um, so I have like 50 plus percent exposure to Rashad Penny. I just think love again, and, and back to I his talent, it. he's, he's just a really talented running back. I think he had that yeah. amazing stretch to the end of 2021. He's only 27 years old. Like I, I don't get what I'm missing at that price. I just think he's a, he's a mega smash. I'm with you. I've been taking a lot of them. He reminds me a little bit maybe of, you know, how James Conner uh, two years ago was was a smash. And, and, you know, he obviously came up in price once he landed with the Cardinals. But I could see him doing that to someone coming in and being like, OK, you're here to be behind this other guy. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm your yeah. starting running back. Yeah, I definitely see those scenarios with him. And it's yeah, it's the, you know, the injury prone discount that we see on a lot of players. It's maybe justified a bit for Penny because of his career, but this injury was, you know, it wasn't something that I think you can chalk up to to injury proneness. So I'm I'm not too too worried about that. Awesome. Um, well, that's that's all I have for today. Uh, again, really excited to be to be doing the show this off season. Uh, Davis will be joining. Although we we ended up touting both Ceh and Taysom Hill without him, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> How yeah, much what he is needs he, to be on the what, show? Yeah, <laughs> our work is done here. Yeah, well, I do. Yeah. I, I, I'm imagining Davis in in the lift in the gondola. You know, just <laughs> listening to this pod and being like, "All right, all right, they got it. They covered it. They covered it." Well, as as someone who you know, Davis hangs out in the Deposit Kingdom Discord, and I see how much he's been posting and some of the other channels, and he doesn't seem like he's unplugging uh, on the slopes much at all, <laughs> from what I can tell. So I'm, I am kind of surprised he didn't even find a way to get on this. But yeah, Sam, awesome uh, debut. Ex- uh, super excited to host you here on Ship Chasing over the course of the summer. I think we'll we'll probably kind of have to tweak the schedule just a teeny bit. We'll find more of a time though that you guys can all bank on and you can count on Sam and Davis and then, you know, Pat and myself and Gretch cycling through when we can. But uh, you guys are going to be in great hands with Sam. The charts are awesome. Sam, are you going to make those charts available on Twitter as well after the shows? Yeah, I'll be I'll be posting uh, the charts. I haven't figured it out exactly, but they'll be public uh, on Twitter or some other medium throughout the course of the offseason. So for those of you listening along on audio, I'd highly recommend looking at the charts because, you know, we've just drawn a few conclusions. You can definitely look at them and, and take your own spin on things. I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, guys, we appreciate you. We will be back as usual on Wednesday at 9.15. Thank you to Sam for getting us rolling with ADP chasing. Thank you to Pat for hanging out. Thank you to you guys in the chat. Awesome chat today, by the way. You guys were uh, bringing, bringing the heat and adding some uh, really nice additional context to everything. So you guys are rock stars. As always, feel free to join us in the Ship Chasing Discord. If you're a YouTube member, happy to help you get that set up tech-wise if you are struggling with that. But enjoy your weekends. For Sam, for Pat, I'm Pete. We'll see you on Wednesday.